You're listening to 90% Mental, Conversations with Grant Parr, Episode 103. Mental performance coach Grant Parr sits down with Shannon Barkey, silver and bronze medalist, world champion, and CEO of Team Empower Hour. Shannon shares her journey and what it took to be the best, overcoming multiple injuries and adversities, visualizing her success, and getting to a place of trusting herself and her hard work. This champion is all about creating positive energy, coming from gratitude, and being in service. You're interested in a full body resistance training system to achieve your athletic and fitness goals? The Mass Suit from Juke Performance is your answer. The Mass Suit is a full body resistance training suit that you wear during your exercising or sport-specific training to enhance your speed, strength, power, agility, and endurance. You are fully mobile, and it's great for plyometric and high-intensity training. It engages all muscle groups simultaneously and increases to a 50% caloric burn. Check out the Mass Suit at jukeperformance.com and other fitness-related products, and make sure to use the promo code GRANTPAR, one word, G-R-A-N-T-P-A-R-R, for your 10% discount. Hey, Shannon, how are you? I am so good, Grant. How are you? Thank you for having me on your show. I'm doing great. And and I didn't say this. Happy New Year to you. Um, oh, what year are we in? I don't even know. I'm 25, so I'm not sure what year that is, but that, that I'm still 25. I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm like really excited to, to have you on my show. I, you know, I've had the opportunity to talk with you before and, uh, and it got to experience your energy for life and your energy for, uh, athletics. And I just can't wait to, to share with my listeners just your Olympic mindset, um, your journey as an Olympian and, and just, and sharing with my listeners what you're doing now, which I think is incredible. I think, you know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more down in the show how your athletic experience has taken you up to this point and how you've taken all that energy and all that experience into your current job. But, but before we get into that, uh, which I'll save that for the, towards the end of the show, I want to talk about one of my favorite things when it comes to mental performance, and that is mental toughness. And I can only imagine how many times you had to be mentally tough throughout your career. But what does mentally tough mean to you? You know, I think it's so interesting, right? Because I think we have so many different times where we have to be mentally tough, whether we're in a situation that is, man, like where the stakes are so high. You, you know, when you're standing in the Olympic gate or you have um, this customer that you just need, you need their business or, you know, I mean, there's so many times where the pressure is so high and you have to be mentally tough. And then there's other times when, you know, you've blown out your knee for the second time and you feel like you're at Death Valley and you feel like all hope is gone. And how do you come through that? You know, so I think there's so many times that we have to be mentally tough. Um, but to me, really what mentally tough means is, is that you continue to be positive and you continue to find the solution and you focus on those positive things and those actionable steps that you can take and that you can keep your fear or your self-doubt and all of those things at bay and really focus on, you know, putting one foot in front of the other and, and being able to focus on those positive solutions. 
Beautiful. I love that. Being positive, <laughs> solving problems in the moment, right? I, I love it. You you brought up uh, pressure and considering yeah. at the level, the, the elite level that you competed at, um, what was your relationship with pressure? Uh, is it, was it something that you embraced, enjoyed? Was it, did you look at pressure as a negative thing? What was your relationship with pressure? Well, I mean, pressure is always hard because in the moment, you know, it feels so overwhelming. And there were so many times during my career that I felt like, oh my gosh, I'm just this little girl from California. How am I in this big pressure situation? Right. right. Um, but when we can step past that, that moment and, and look at what it is, it is an opportunity. Mm. It's an opportunity to show the world what you're made of. And so for me, you know, I, I really, I prided myself on those moments because I knew that I wasn't the best mobile skier out there. I knew that, you know, my best day against somebody else's best day, I'm not going to win. But if I can, if I can embrace this, this situation that I'm in right now under all this pressure and shine, I have a shot to be the best. So mm. I turned that, that moment where my palms are sweaty and, you know, the butterflies are about to climb out of my stomach and I have to go to the bathroom <laughs> really bad. Um, you know, I turned that into an opportunity to, to put my best foot forward and show the world what I was made of. I love it. I love it. And I've, I've been there as an athlete where, you know, palms are sweaty and the butterflies are break dancing in the stomach. <laughs> and, you know, and I wish I had somebody like me back in the day when I was playing football for, you know, for someone to tell me it's a good thing. Your body's ready to perform. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. So I share that message a lot with the athletes that I work with, because um, a lot of times, you know, younger athletes, they, they don't know how to deal with the They're still dealing with the energy, trying to understand if it's a good thing or a bad thing. So um, and it, and I think it's great that how you turn it into an opportunity. I think pressure is is, is whatever you want it to be. It could be positive, it could be negative. And, it, and to me, it's a positive thing. It's an opportunity. Yeah. And, you know, I think that um, this day and age, being, uh, you know, being mentally tough and, and working on your mental game isn't such a stigma anymore, right? Like, I think that athletes are are finding a way to, to get help from sports psychologists and, you know, to really work on that game. But what I really encourage people to do also is when you are visualizing, you have to feel those emotions and know that those are coming. You know, I, I always used to hear athletes say, oh man, well, when I get to the Olympics, I'm just going to pretend that I'm skiing at my little home, you know, wherever I learned how to ski and it's just going to be nice. And I'm just going to do that. And I was like, oh my gosh, you can't do that because it's not going to be that way. You know, you're going to be standing up there in front of 30,000 people or a hundred thousand people. And the pressure is going to be high and you have to know how your body's going to respond and you have to embrace that. So I really talk with athletes that when you're, you know, when you are visualizing and doing that kind of stuff, you know, feeling how those emotions are going to be and what your body is doing. Are you getting tense? Are your palms getting sweaty? You know, do you have to move around a lot? Do you have to go to the bathroom? But dealing with those and, and kind of making that part of your mental preparation is, is, a, is a really big thing that I learned early on, and it helped me a lot. See it, feel it, do it. Um, That's right. You know, and I, and I was going to save this for later, but since we're talking about uh, visualization, because – you know, this is something that I'm obviously I work with athletes all the time, uh, younger athletes. I'm trying to get them to buy into this and, and to control that image and to get just comfortable with changing their behavior with visualization. But when I was working with uh, Asia Evans um, in the last Winter Olympics, she's a 
2014 bronze medalist for a bobsled. And mm-hmm. when I was actually working with her and watching her through the TV, I, I mean, I, I know at that level, you have to visualize your performance. You have to visualize as much as possible. And I was seeing almost every single team that they were competing against, whenever they had in a moment a camera on them, they were visualizing their experience. How much did you, I mean, obviously I'm guessing that it was the best practice for you, but before every time that you competed, was that part of your routine? Oh my gosh. Even well before getting in the gate. Um, so kind of to back things up, before uh, the 2002 Olympics that year, we have, for those that aren't familiar with our sport as a mogul skier, um, we have about seven World Cups to, to qualify for the Olympics. And in the first four qualifying events for, uh, for the 2002 Olympics, I wasn't even in the top 30. And going into that year, I was sixth in the world. So for me, I was at my physical peak, but my mental and emotional peak was just nowhere to be found. And I didn't understand at that point how integral all of those things were. So to make a long story short, um, I actually worked with a hypnotherapist and it completely changed my life. Um, but one of the things that we worked on every day was how to visualize perfectly. So I went from not just trying to be perfect on the hill and putting together the best run that I can, but to be able to do that in my head. So I would then, um, you know, every single day from that point on, when I started to work with him for the next, uh, for the next eight years, I did over a hundred mogul runs perfectly in my head every day. So whether that was, you know, if we were at a different training course during the summer um, and then in the winter time, you know, visualizing that World Cup course um, also, you know, so that when I got to the Olympics, that it wouldn't just be the first time there. I would visualize being on that Olympic course four years out so that when I got there, I had already done thousands and thousands of perfect runs on that course. So to me, I spent a lot of time breathing, um, visualizing, and doing a ton of positive affirmations all day long, every day for most of my career. Wow. That's a lot of work. That is <laughs> <laughs> and it, a lot it, of time, a lot of work. <laughs> man, it's it's music to my ears and it, and it's great that you're doing that. I mean it's to to me, doing the the work it, it can be hard. It's really it's it's really easy to do and it's really easy not to do. And, but when you get into your rhythm, uh, you know, when you're, when you're visualizing, you're meditating, you're, you're doing a lot of breath work, uh, you're writing down your affirmations and your intentions and it sounds like a lot, but once you get into your rhythm, it just becomes a best practice. Yeah. I mean, you know, what's so funny to me is I see athletes in, you know, today's athletes where, oh man, I've got this, this shoe that's going to make me, you know, a quarter of a second faster. I've got this suit that's going to be here. And I'm like, oh my gosh, but your mental training, I mean, that can improve your performance by 90%. Mm. So we're not talking about, you know, a, a quarter of a percent in, you know, hopes that your shoe is really good. I mean, there is untapped potential in so in such vast amount that I think is left on the table by athletes, um, that if they tap into that, that is so much more important than the latest and greatest technology. So I don't know. I, I really try and get people to buy in. Like, this is where you can make the difference. This is where you can outperform your competitors. This is so important. Totally. A hundred percent. Now, 
As you talk about this work uh, and talk about your mindset, when you reflect back on your career as an athlete, how would you describe your mindset? You know, I mean, there were, I, I think, you know, you try to be, you know, we talk about mental toughness and we try to always have that positive outlook. Um, but I mean, there were some really hard times and I got beat a lot. I had a lot of injuries. Um, so, you know, I, I think as, as every athlete, we go through so many, you know, so many highs and lows where you feel like you're on top of the world and nothing you can do is wrong. And then, you know, those so many times whenever you feel like nothing you do is right. And, and it's that constant balance of figuring out how to make it work and, and keep being positive and working through those hard times. So, I mean, it was great. You know, at one time I was ranked number one in the world and you just think nothing can touch me, <laughs> you know, and then the next year you break your jaw and then the next year after that you blow out your knee and all of a sudden you're staring at not being in the gate for over a year and a half and how do you get past that? So um, I went through, a, you know, a lot of, a lot of ups and downs, but I always had that belief in myself. And if nobody believed in me, that was okay. I had that self-belief and I knew that I was doing all of the work, both physically, mentally, and emotionally, that when I got in that gate, that I was going to do it. And, and I could do it because of the work that I put in. Now, you, you, there's a few things I want to touch on as far as, you know, coming back from injuries. Um, I know you went mm -hmm. through a few of them. Um, so this might kind of segue into my question, but when, when you, when we're talking about mental toughness, uh, can you share a specific time within your career where you had to be mentally tough? Oh my gosh, there's like 4 billion. <laughs> um, but you know, I think one of the times for me, uh, that, you know, everybody likes to talk about Olympic medals and, um, you know, th those moments were big. But I think probably the biggest moment for me, uh, in 2002, Johnny Mosley changed our sport forever, right? So before, we weren't allowed to do backflips. We weren't allowed to go inverted. Our feet weren't allowed to go over our head when we went off the jump. Well, in 2002, he did this, um, this jump called the dinner roll. And after he performed that trick in the Olympics, our committees, uh, the ski committee decided, okay, he can do it. It's safe. Now you can do it. And all of a sudden we went from being, you know, the best in the world to now having our sport completely flipped up on its head, mm. doing things that we've never done before and having to be the best in the world at it. And I just remember being completely overwhelmed with that. So you know, we're trying all these backflips, but like, I didn't come from a background of being a gymnast or a diver. So for me, we were just like throwing our head back, doing a backflip. And I, I came in short at an event in, um, in Japan and landed, uh, my face on my poles and I broke my jaw and I had to fly home, get my jaw, uh, wired shut and, you know, got it undone and, and worked my way back into competition. And then the very first world cup of the next season, I blew out my knee. And at that point, I was just, I was just like, oh my gosh, here's the biggest change in our sports history. All my competition has been practicing and growing and learning and doing better. And I've just been sitting on the sidelines. And that was the moment for me where I really had to dig deep and figure out how I was going to make it back to my second Olympic Games in less than a year wow. and, and do these tricks. 
so it was one of those moments that, you know, you really, you really define who you are and, and what you're about and, and finding people that believe in you as much as you believe in yourself. There were a lot of tears at this time, but you know, I just, every, every single day was, was a step in the right direction. And, you know, people always ask what happened in between my silver, my bronze medal. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, the best. I made it to the 2006 Olympics in Torino. And I was the highest female finisher, um, for team, you know, for our team. Um, and that is something that I am extraordinarily proud of because man, that took a lot of mental toughness. Wow. I, I bet. <laughs> a lot of tears, a lot of mental toughness and, you know, just, and, and growing with change. So that's one thing I'm really, really proud of. Well, when you go through those series of injuries, uh, I can only I can only imagine the inner dialogue that's that's happening, all the thoughts and the feelings and emotions that you're going through. What did you do to get yourself back on track, and and how what did it take for you to to gain that confidence back into your knee and the confidence back into your body? Well, I really decided, um, especially the first time, that I wanted to work with the best. If I wanted to give my, you know, myself the best chance that I could to get back, I needed to work with the best people. So uh, Dr. Cooley, who is a surgeon here in Park City, um, and I just love, he's done like six of my surgeries. So I think, I, I think my next one's free. Um, <laughs> uh, so I worked with him. Um, and then I also asked a bunch of people who was the most progressive physical therapist that could help me get back, not only physically, but really give me the confidence throughout that time, you know, to help me mentally as well. So I would say somebody that I owe and eat like, you know, most of my success to in, in getting me back over those injuries is a guy by the name of, of Bill Knowles. And he was just, I mean, every day he had a smile, he had passion. He, you know, he, he made me believe in myself by testing me and, and proving to me that my knee was strong and that I was good and that I could come back. So he just, he was integral. I mean, he was with me through all the tears and all the hardships and, you know, just, he was, he was always there rooting for me. And that was, that was something that, um, that I couldn't have done it without him. Now, I don't want to be redundant with this question. Um, and you might've already answered part of this question, but again, when you reflect on your career, what do you think is like your biggest mental win and what was your biggest mental fail and how did you overcome it? So when you think about all the things you've done, you know, as far as your, your mental game, your mental preparation, what, what was your biggest win do, because you've, you know, yeah. you invested into this type of work and what was your biggest fail? Uh, they happened on the same day, actually. Wow. <laughs> um, and you know, it was, it was really interesting. So in 2010, um, I had made my third Olympic Games. And, um, and I, and I was seeing incredible and I just felt good. You know, I had worked with so many people, my family and my friends. And, you know, I just, I just felt like I was in a place that I could be great. And, um, one of the things that I really hate is going last in our qualification run. So again, for those that aren't familiar, um, our sports changed a little bit, but back when I competed in the Olympics, everybody got a first run. And, um, so it was all random order. And then only the top 16 made the second run. They wiped everybody's scores clean and then, uh, reversed the order of finish. And then we go for gold. So it went 16, 15, 14, all the way to number one. 
So anyway, my first run, I hate running last. And what did I draw? I ran last place. Mm. And usually in our sport, um, you know, it's, it's about, it takes us 30 seconds to get down and then, you know, 30 seconds in between to kind of reset the judges scoring the timing, make sure TV is ready in bigger events. It's a little bit longer because we've got more TV and more things going on. And at the Olympics, it's the most time, right? Um, so it's usually about four minutes. Well, in Vancouver, it was almost eight minutes in between competitors. So I had done everything in my power to calm myself down, to get myself focused, to, you know, get myself in the right emotional and mental state. And by the time I got in the gate, I was so exhausted at trying to get myself into that perfect mindset that I completely blew it. Mm -hmm. And I, I finished my run and just was devastated because my body just like, it didn't work. <laughs> and I'm, I'm glad I didn't fall. Um, but I, you know, I crossed the finish line and instantly burst into tears because I was like, Oh my gosh, 12 years completely wasted, like just done everything that I had, you know, been upset about. I not wanting to fail, not wanting to let people down that had just happened in 30 seconds. And, um, you know, long story short, I, I, on the, on the ride back up, you know, chose to, to turn this huge challenge um, into one of the biggest opportunities of my life. And could I come back from sixth place, which seemed completely, you know, again, like going up and over Everest, um, could I take this opportunity and capitalize it and win another Olympic medal? And that was such a powerful shift for me to, to have to dig deep and find all of those things in my brain and, and execute on that and, and put it back into fun and, you know, do all those things that I had done over the last 12 years, put them into motion and actually do it. And coming away with a bronze medal, like, damn, that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, so my worst and my best literally on one day wow. and, um, and my last Olympic performance. So it was, it was pretty cool. Wow. I love it. It's, uh, it's a story. I mean, obviously, mental toughness, but grit and resiliency, and uh, and I love it how you bounce back. Um, but I do want to get. Yeah. I want to get in your like. I'd say your mind, more of your soul. I want. I want to. I want you to take my listeners to exactly. What does it feel like when you're going down the mountain? When you're hitting those moguls, like what does it feel like? And do you turn your mind off when you're when you're going down the mountain or? Or are you talking to yourself? Do you have this kind of conversation or this narrative to kind of keep you motivated and focused on the right things as you're going down the mountain? Yeah, you know, um, it's different every time. And, you know, you, you talk to athletes and, and you always want your mind to be in the same place where you can, you know, be quote unquote in the zone, right? But I don't think that happens as often as we want it to, even though we train for it as much as we can. Right. So the best, I mean, those best moments, I think, you know, lots of athletes describe it just feels effortless. Like you're not even trying, you know, like the moguls are just coming at you and it almost feels slow motion and you're balanced and you're fast and you're, you know, you're seen proactively and it just feels like somebody's taking over your body, right? Like you're just doing it and you're like, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> um, that hasn't happened to me very many times, especially in moguls, because there's so many variables. Um, but the other times, you know, I really do try and focus on not just winning, right? Like, oh, I'm not just going to win this run. It's every time I'm in the moguls, it's keep those hands forward, um, you know, keep those tips diving down, be balanced, 
hit this jump with as much speed as I can. So I'm really trying to focus on the tasks that I need to complete in order to get to the goal. Mm. And, and that really, you know, that really helps keep me focused um, while I'm going down the run as what I need to do to, to be able to cross that finish line and do what I wanted to do in the gate. You know, I always say this to athletes, besides winning a championship or winning a medal, the most beautiful thing you can experience is being in zone or being in flow. And, and, you know, I played football for 13 years. I had some really cool experiences. I did a lot of great things, but I only experienced it a few times. And, Mm -hmm. and it's funny because there's, I, I actually worked with a soccer player last year and she, she experienced it and she's like, how do I get to do this every single time? (laughs) And I'm like, (laughs) and and then like, it was funny because the next, the next game, she was like, she's like, coach, why did I get in flow? And I'm like, were you trying to get into it? And she's like, well, yeah. I'm like, it's not, you don't, you do certain things to position yourself for it. It's if you try to get into zone, into the flow, you're pushing yourself. Like it has to naturally happen. And, and, yeah. I, and I think yeah. that's a lot of athletes cause it is addictive. It's a beautiful feeling. People want it so bad, but they have to be patient with it and allow themselves because you're not going to do it every single time. Yeah, no, it's, you know, I've only had, I've had a lot of runs in training, you know, where, where it's just felt effortless and you get to the bottom and you're like, wow, that was just, I mean, like, it's just, you, it's just a body high, you know, but in competition, when you've got that pressure and, you know, you know, you've got to execute and do all those things. There's only been a couple number of times. And I have to say in 2002, that happened to me during the Olympics. So to be able to have one of those moments, you know, when, when there's 2.3 billion people watching you, um, and you have to execute, you know, I mean, that just, that's a special moment. And I always tell people, I'm like, that has never happened before or since that much in the zone. And oh, it was just like, it was just like such a happy, fluffy, light, you know, awesome moment. <laughs> totally. Totally. <laughs> and nobody relates that to moguls. They're like, whoa, light, fluffy, amazing. They're like, no, that doesn't, that doesn't relate. That doesn't translate. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, let's talk about that experience. Uh, Most of the Olympians that I've had on my show, uh, the ones that have medaled, you know, we talk about that moment when they're on the podium. What was it like when you were on the podium, especially in 2002, and when you won your first silver medal? Like, what did it feel like? Oh, my gosh. It was so... Oh, I get, like I I get chills, and I think, how did I like little old me, you know, little old me, Shannon Barkey? How did I do that? And I'll never forget because um, after I had skied my run, and there was one girl left to go, Kari Trot from Norway, and she's one of my great friends, and I mean, she really inspired me to ski the way that you know that she skied, and and always made me try harder and be better because I wanted to be like Kari. And so when she came down and completely crushed me um, to win a gold medal, and later that evening we went to go on the, you know, to get our medal ceremony. And I remember looking out into the crowd and seeing my family and being like, Mom, Dad, look at Kari Trot. 
and then me and like curry cha and then me um so it was just you know I was like that's crazy who would have thought you know um and that moment of of feeling that weight of that metal go around my neck and I had never seen what the metals looked like even though they'd been on tv and you know I just never wanted to see what they looked like because I I wanted if I earned it I wanted to be surprised so for me that was just like that moment of actually getting to see it to feel it you know, to have that weight around my neck and watch the American flag being raised. Oh, I mean, that's, that's, that's everybody's dream, you know, like, holy cow. And I don't know, it just, it just felt like a huge moment of pride. And my parents who had sacrificed so much for both my brother and I to do what we love, you know, in that moment, I really felt like, wow, this is, this is a pretty good return on investment, mom and dad. Here we are. This is cool. <laughs> wow. When you were walking me through that, so. I, I got the chills. I, I, can, I can only imagine uh, what it would feel like to be on that podium and not only just representing, honoring, you know, all your hard work, but, you know, representing your country. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's, I can only imagine how unreal that it just, that experience is. Yeah, and you know, um, in 2002, it was it was really close after 9/11, and um, you know, I think as an American, we we felt like okay, I mean, we have just had a huge loss, and and our our, our country was reeling, you know, and and we didn't know where our feet were going to land, and so I I felt almost an added pressure of, you know, we've got to bring we've got to bring some joy into, into our country and honor the people that were lost. And, you know, how do we do that? How can we pull our country together and have a happy moment? So it really was a time in my life too, where, you know, that was really important. And, and, and so, you know, in in the 2002 opening ceremonies, we brought in the the world trade center flag Mm. and it was just like, Oh my, gosh, you know, it was, it was this moment that I felt was so much bigger than me, so much bigger than my dream of, you know, being an athlete, being an an Olympian. This was an American moment. So to see that flag being raised, it it meant more than that. And that's something that I'm extremely proud of. Wow. Man, that's beautiful. That is, you know, when you, when you think about what it takes mentally to, to compete at that level. Now, you were in the 2002, 2006, 2010 Olympics. Did your mental game or the way that you approached your, your sport or your craft, did it change? Did you do anything differently or did you keep things pretty consistent through the three appearances within the Olympics? Um, it totally changed. Uh, you know, you go, I was 21 in my first Olympics. So of course you think like nothing can hurt me. I'm going to be, I'm just going to, you know, fly through life and everything's going to be great for me. Um, So you kind of go through with that mentality that nothing can touch you. And then all of a sudden, you know, you get a couple injuries in and you're like, Hmm, I may have to rework this a little bit. Um, And I blew out my second knee uh, two years before 2010 and so I really had to restructure um, a lot of what I did because my knees couldn't be out on the hill every day. You know, I couldn't train like some of the younger, you know, some of the younger athletes. So I actually reached out, reached out to a gentleman, um, Dr. Jason Selk, 
And he really helped me fine tune again, you know, what it was that I needed to do, how I could do more training um, off the hill with, with mental structure and an emotional structure. And he really kind of honed in that again and helped me. Cause I remember they wrote, they wrote an article about me that was like an oldie, but a goodie. And I'm like, Oh man, that really hurts. But you know what? This old lady, I still, I still have it. I'm going to prove it to you. So, um, you know, I think over those, over those times, you know, some things that you used to, you know, that used to be your go-to just don't work anymore. And not that they, you know, not that that's bad, but you have to find a new way to do it. And it may be a different way to think about it or a new way that works for you. So I was constantly trying to, you know, figure that out while still using the things that worked for me and keeping that consistent. You know what I love about your story or your, or your journey is, you know, wherever we want to go, whether it's Olympics, getting a promotion, uh, getting the next job, whatever it is, we can't get there alone. And no. And it's so cool to hear you had so many cool people along the way for different dynamics and different things that showed up that were there to support you and get you ready for for you to hit your goals. Yeah, I mean, I think I was given pretty much the the best gift that you can ever start with, which is the most incredible family I could ever ask for. My parents never pushed me I mean, I'll never forget, you know, falling. And my mom's like, oh, my gosh, you did so good. I'm like, mom, I fell. And she's like, I know, but look at how wonderful you are. So, you know, I started with this base of, you know, of, of my loving family that just always supported me no matter what. And, you know, you throw in incredibly knowledgeable um, and expert coaches that, you know, can fine tune anything. And then you throw in, um, you know, hypnotherapists and sports psychologists and, and people that I think really kind of held me all together. Cause I'm a hot mess. Let me be honest. I'm a hot mess, but I had a lot of people that like held are. that mess together. <laughs> <laughs> right. And can get you into the gate. And at that moment, you know, um, uh, give you the tools to be your best when you need it. So I just feel like, oh, man, I, I've tried to carry that with me, you know, as I retired and into being a mom. It takes a village. And especially with my companies, you know, you need to be surrounded by great people and you can't forge it alone. Otherwise, it's a lonely road to the bottom. You need to have a happy, people-filled, uh, you know, road to the top. A hundred percent. A big time. Now, now, now that we're talking about transitioning out of sport... You know, which which is you know I say this all the time on my podcast, but it's a real thing. It's just it's something we need to talk about at all levels because if you're an athlete, there's going to be a time where you're going to be moving on from that sport that you love. So, how was your transition out of sport? How did you know, and when did you know that it was time for you to move on and try on something different? Oh man, well on paper it looked amazing, you know. Um I knew I knew going into 2010, I was 29, so I knew that that was going to be my last Olympics. And it was really important to me to go out on my terms. So I always that was my goal was was to go out when I said that I wanted to be done, not when an injury or, you know, skiing so poorly that I didn't make the U.S. ski team or get my World Cup starts taken away from me. I wanted to end it on my terms. So I knew that that year was going to be my last year. Now, unfortunately, my very last World Cup, I crashed and had to have another knee surgery. <laughs> wow. um, but I knew that was going to be my last year. 
So um, in 2008, my husband and I had actually, or well, we were fiancés um, then, but we had started up a coffee company called Silver Bean Coffee, and we were supposed to get married on 10-10-10. So, you know, I was just like, oh my gosh, I went out with two Olympic medals, a bronze medal, and, you know, I was going to get married, and we had this company that was going, and for a year, that seemed to, to be a really nice, shiny package that, you know, the world looking in could be like, wow, she's got everything. Um, but slowly, that really started to fade away. And all of a sudden, this identity and this focus that I had every single day and this purpose wasn't there anymore. And I was really struggling. Um, the coffee business that I thought was going to be this amazing thing wasn't. It wasn't what I wanted to do. It put a ton of pressure on my husband and I, and um, we almost got divorced over it in our first year of marriage. And so all of a sudden, I just found myself at rock bottom. Um, and it was, a, you know, I just felt so alone. I felt like, oh my gosh, I know that athletes struggle with this, but like, I'm supposed to not struggle with it because of all the things that I had when I retired. So um, it was a really lonely time for me. And I don't think that I shared that with enough people and asked for enough help. I kind of, you know, worked through it on my own. And, um, and that was, that was a pretty lonely time. Mm. How long did it take you to, to move on from that experience and fully feel like confident and, that you've completely like completed that transition. I mean, cause there's, that's a real thing. The experience you went through, I mean, mine, mine was totally different. Mine lasted about two decades <laughs> and, <Yeah>. and had to <laughs> deal with a lot of identity issues. And there's a lot of different dynamics that people go through. Sometimes it's shorter. Sometimes it's a lot longer. Sometimes people don't even go through a, it's actually a very nice, smooth transition out of sport, but how long did it take you to kind of get back to, to quote unquote, be normal, if you will. Well, you know, I will let you know when I come through the other side. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I feel like this, this last decade has been um, a, real, a real learning experience for me. You know, I'm extremely competitive. Um, so I put it, you know, in my head that I wanted to be as successful in business as I was as an Olympian. Um, so that that is always haunting me. Like, I want to be... A, you know, a, a businesswoman that is running a multi-million dollar company. However, I am also a ski bum at heart, you know, that, that um, grew up, you know, riding the bus into town, getting on a pair of skis, having a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> um, <laughs> I so I, 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 you know, that wants to be alone in the mountains and just ski. So I have these, I have these two things that are, that are always in my head that I'm struggling with. Um, how successful do I want to be and at what cost? Um, so, you know, um, and, and I get to meet incredible people all the time that have done all these amazing things. And I want to prove to them that I can do that again too. So it's, it's a constant struggle for me. And I feel like I'm getting closer to who I really am in my next life. And as a mom, I'm really sure of what I'm doing. I love my kids and I love being a mom and I love being a wife. Um, but it is that struggle that I have in my professional life. And, you know, that competitiveness just gets in there and like starts going. Right. <laughs> and that's hard. <laughs> well, I can only imagine. It it's, is hard. I can only imagine it's like a, it's like a hyper intrinsic motivator that you're dealing with because you, it makes sense. You operated at a very high frequency. 
You are very, very elite, the best in the world. And so I can only imagine anything else you want to do, you want to be the best in the world at. Yeah. And it's hard because when, uh, you know, as an athlete, right, your whole, um, your whole day is based on taking care of you. Yeah. And there is not necessarily a certain clear path to that, but you know, there's certain things that all athletes do and you get massages and you, you know, you do acupuncture and you, you know, you work on your mental game. Like everything is about being like feeling your best and in business. Oh my gosh, there's two there's 2 million ways to have a successful business and none of which are taking care of your body. So that to me has been the hardest thing because as an athlete, you work, 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 and then you take care of yourself. And in business, I feel like it's just work, 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 work. And how do I take what I know from being an athlete and slowing down and, and, and adding in those elements of, of wellness and health, you know, to create that whole person. So that's what I struggle with the most now is, is trying to take that old life and blending it with that new life to be, to be the best that I can be. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it took me, uh, again, different dynamics on my end with my hip injury, but it took me a long time. But then once I found my groove from a wellness standpoint and, and spent 17 years in corporate America and I, I lived all the long days and the stressful days and it took me a long time to to finally tap into my wellness mindset, if you will, and take what I learned as an athlete and really apply it to my best practices, which I feel yeah i'm I'm a work in progress, but I feel like I have so much more. We than, all are yeah <laughs> <laughs> and like you said earlier, like we were a hot mess, we're all hot messes, and it's a good thing you know there's there's we all have something, but uh, I just feel like i'm I'm in a good groove. But I, there's still things for yeah. me to actually uh, to fine tune as I go. Yeah. And, you know, I, I find that um, as a mom, especially, I'm like, oh, man, OK, well, I need to get back to, you know, in the summertime, being able to ride my bike every, you know, every day and, um, you know, being able to go to the gym and do all that stuff. And then I'm like, oh, but you have children. So, you know, you, you I, I have to choose. So is that time better spent, you know, seeing the smile on my children's face, or is it knowing that I need to get a bike ride in? And so for me, that's, that's always a struggle, um, especially as my little guy is only a year and a half. You know, it's, it's hard sometimes those, you know, those hugs and those kisses and being the best mom that you can be sometimes has to replace the bike ride. So I know that my life will get back to a place where I can put more emphasis on myself again. But, you know, you never get those those times with your kids back. And so now is the time to put in your love and support and hugs and kisses and bedtime stories and time at the playground, um, you know, time in the mountains, because you don't ever get that back. So I, I, I constantly have to balance that, too, you know, how I feel versus, you know, family. So totally <laughs> it'll no. get there it'll get there <laughs> exactly and you know and as you were talking it it, it, totally, it makes 100% sense um i think you know we we hear this a lot about being in the moment being in the here and now being present and and just yesterday i i turned 46 and i was thinking about i have been thinking about this but you know as i teach people how to be present how to be in the moment you know, when we are in the moment and we move on from that moment, it turns into these memories and, and, you know, call them a legacy of memories. But I started like last, last night I was thinking about, 
you know, what's the quality of my memories as far as being so present, being so in the moment, you know, what kind of memories do I want? Yes, I want them to be positive. And if they're not positive, which they're going to happen, I want to learn from them. So it's just this, this whole concept of, you know, moments into memories and what kind of memories do I want to have? Yeah, no, that's awesome. And, you know, I also heard something that really made sense to me because sometimes I struggle with what is present, right? Mm. Like what, what, do you, what do you want out of this moment? And somebody um, said, you have to be where your feet are. Yep. And like, oh, my God, that was just like one of those duh, but <laughs> aha moments of, okay, if my feet are on the playground with my children, I need to be with my children at the playground. I'm not going to be texting my friend here or, or setting up a business meeting there. Like my feet are here. If my feet are in a business meeting, I'm thinking about that and I'm doing that. You know, if my feet are in the kitchen, you know, helping my husband make dinner, then that's where they are. So I found that to be really, really powerful. And sometimes I actually physically look down at my feet and I'm like, aha, uh-huh. this is where I need to be. <laughs> so that, that actually, I mean, it just like sounds so stupid, but that's really helped me define what present is to me. It's huge. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm glad that you brought it up because my, my mentor, Graham Betchart, he brings this up all the time, you know, being where your feet are. I always add on a different spin. I always say, mind your feet, you know, so your mind and your feet and connect them all together. But he says, I mean, this is the funniest thing. He's working with NBA players. He'll literally sit there and ask them to look at your feet. He's like, check, check your feet. And he'll like, and I've seen this on video, and people are looking at their feet and he's like, all right. Be where your feet are. Let's start breathing. And he'll he'll sit there and he will make sure that you look at your feet so you can ground yourself. Like it's like a physical thing, and it might seem weird, but if you think about, I love that. Yeah, it's great. So it's and usually like when I when I do it when I'm working with teams, I just have people move their feet. Just move them. You know, you, you can look at them. Cool. Just but move them. Bring some awareness to your feet. But when we talk about being present, I mean, that's it. Being where your feet are and getting into your breath. And I feel that if we want greatness, if we want excellence, it does not happen in the future. It does not happen in the past. It happens right now. So the more we can get into the feet, more into our breath, I don't care what happens. That, to me, that's greatness. And that's where, thing, and that's where flow yeah. starts and, and being in the zone is being present. Yep. No, it's so true. And all of that is just, you know it's again, finding that solution that, that will allow you to be there, you know, not just thinking, Oh, tomorrow I'm going to start doing that. But it's like, no, we got to come up with a solution on how you can do that today. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, that, that's really helped me. And, um, and as I've gotten further away from competitive skiing, it's gotten harder for me just because I feel like there are so many more pressures and so many more things that we have to juggle and do and be. And, you know, um, but I, that, that, that just like, I look at my feet and I'm like, Nope, here you are girl. Like, this is what you got to do. Be here. Exactly. Get locked <laughs> in. I love it. I love Lock it. it in. Yeah. Well, share with my listeners real quick, uh, your company. I, I know you have a few companies, but uh, team empower hour, T- tell them what it's all about and what motivated you to create this company. Oh my gosh. So team empower hour is my passion project. So I love connecting with people and I love sharing what I learned as an athlete, because what it takes to be the best 
in business, in life, in sports, in anything does not change across platforms. So, um, you know, when we had talked about uh, 2010 and when I was going through that really hard time, um, well, pretty much the hardest thing of all, um, one of my teammates died by suicide. And I, in that moment, I thought, oh my gosh, if I'm going through this hard time and he was struggling previous to this and like actually took his own life and, and, and we didn't know, like, how do, how can we stop that? How can we reach more people? How can we help them when they are in that moment? And I vowed in that moment that I wanted to be able to help my fellow Olympians go through that transition. So I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I don't know what, you know, what I can create, what we can do, but like, I need to be able to help people so that that does not happen again. So a couple years later, um, you know, I love public speaking. I love doing workouts with people. I love, you know, sharing those techniques uh, and best practices that help me with others. And this kind of formulation just came to, you know, to fruition. Like, what if I created a platform in a community where as Olympians, we can share those things that made us successful and bring that to others in the corporate world who they're trying to be their best self and they're trying to, you know, um, help their corporation be the best. What if we can marry those two things together and I can give Olympians jobs. I can give them a community where, you know, we all support one another because we know what we're each going through. So it started off with a dream and a passion um, and has really, really come to fruition um, this last year. And of course, we didn't think that we could have um, a second child. And as soon as I dried the ink on, you know, starting up this passion project, of course, I found out I was pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, you know, you're like, oh, okay, life. Okay, we got this. We can do this. Um, but you know, the last year we've really defined who we are and what we want to do. And my goal is to have a hundred Olympians working for me where we share our platform, um, with corporate America and our best practices. And we do it all through movement. So we do leadership development. We do team building. We do keynote speaking. We do fitness workouts and we do it all through movement. So we are not sitting down longer than 50 minutes. And we do a lot of the things um, like going through an agility ladder, learning different balancing techniques, um, and while relating it to what we learn to um, corporate victory. So mm. it's really, really been an incredible journey and just such a fulfilling company because it touches people on so many levels. And, you know, uh, my good friend, Mike Farrow, who actually introduced you and I, he, he shared so much uh, the value that he got from from working with you and, and experiencing, truly experiencing what your company is all about. Yeah, thank you. It's been it's been really fun. You know, I um, being able to have a platform that's all Olympians and to be able to bring that into a company. You know, one we have really fun things to share, but more than that, you're making a connection with Olympians and you get to ask those inside questions. You know, like, whoa, what did it feel like to walk into <laughs> opening ceremonies and like, what were you thinking in the gate? So I think not only is it, you know, really, really translating techniques and best practices, but you're you're making friends and you're making connections, and you know, we're providing that opportunity um, to bridge and make a connection between people that may not have ever met. You know, 
And I don't know how people, how many people are like, whoa, I've never seen an Olympic medal, let alone put one around my neck. (laughs) So, um, so it's been, it's been really fun. And, and I hope that, you know, in, in five or 10 years that I will have made a difference in a lot of people's lives and I will have helped them live their extraordinary and maybe helped Olympians from going through that really hard time, you know, because we had a community that helped one another. So um, it means a lot to me. And it's a, it's a big passion project that, that I hope is one day an enormous company that, that affects a lot of people. Well, that's that just is beautiful. Um, I think there's just so much. Thank you. Just so much like <laughs> goodness from your company. Not only you're you, you're affecting people's lives, but you're also helping athletes that deal with this real thing called transition and giving them an opportunity to thrive. Uh, that's just it's just awesome. And and thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, I do have one one more question that I always love to ask at the very end. Uh, kind of deep, if you will, but. Um, when you think about ref- reflecting on your whole career and even your career now as an entrepreneur, what do you think you've learned the most about yourself? I would say the biggest thing that I've learned about myself is that um, that I should never count myself out. And there's been times when I've been like, whoa, this seems completely overwhelming. And like, what are you doing? How you don't even know how to do that. <laughs> like you're not even in the position to do that. But if you if you have a will and like if if you want to make it work, you will. And I think that's one thing that I've learned along my journey is like, do not tell me that I can't do it. Do not tell me that I'm in over my head. I will find a way. Yeah. I love it. Playing a big game. I love that mindset. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Yeah, you know, don't like you give me a challenge. I will take I will take it on and I may not be the best person for the job or the best athlete out there, but I will find a way. So and that I'm pretty proud of. That's great. That's great. Thanks for sharing for sure. Now, how how do my listeners, how do they connect with you? How do they learn more about Team uh, Empower Hour and how do they connect with you on social media? Well, um, you know, if you just want to want to look at a bunch of terrible pictures of my of my family, <laughs> you can follow me on Instagram. Um, I don't have any good photos, uh, but my my uh, my handle is Shannon Barkey, which is S H A N N O N B is in boy A H R K E. So that's Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn, um, and then also our website TeamEmpowerHour.com. So that's kind of the way that we can stay connected. Um, I'm really proud of my family and all the things that I've done. So I, I like to share it and it's all, it's all me. It's all still Insta and it's all fun. I love it. I love it. Shannon, thank you so much for sharing your, your journey and your mindset and, and your, your passion. Um, I felt it and I know my listeners are going to as well, but again, so honored to have you on my show and, and thank you. Thank you for everything. Grant, you were awesome. This just felt like we were sitting on the couch over a glass of wine, you know, having a really fun conversation. So thank you. Thank you for everything that you're doing for uh, for your listeners. And I hope that maybe I've made a little bit of an impact. So thank you for having me. It really means a lot. Awesome. Awesome.